So basically, I had the podcast done. I mean, I was doing the promotion for it. You guys saw a lot of that on the Making a Difference page. You saw all these different things, and it was centralized, you know, around one theme or one word or one idea, and that idea is complicity. And so when I was talking about complicity, and of course, the very definition of that word is to be, you know, in association with uh, a guilty party. And so I was going to use that and I was going to extend that to to some of the things that we see in our society from mass shootings to the way we do politics to some of the things that are going on, you know, in our school systems. And then Jay-Z happened. And so basically I had to not so much throw the whole podcast away, but basically throw the podcast away. (laughs) Fuck this. Honestly, that's perfectly fine because Making a Difference is a show that, first of all, is adaptable. But even more important than being adaptable, it's important that the show be relevant. And so when I'm talking about an idea like complicity, Jay-Z's partnership with the NFL is a perfect example of the dangers of complicity because we know what type of league the NFL is. We know what the NFL has done to black employees, to include players, to include coaches we know how the nfl feels but some of the mental gymnastics the simone biles moves that a lot of you cats have been doing to defend jay-z to defend a social justice and entertainment partnership is really indicative of a bigger problem and i'm going to talk about that and so much more on this episode of making a difference i'm gonna go ahead and give you a taste real quick because i don't want to waste anybody's time today include my own Here's what we have. First, we have people who cannot get out of their own way in terms of, you know, they're being being fans of Jay-Z, which I understand. And I'm not so much indicting your you're being a fan or, you know, you're thinking that, hey, this is the greatest rapper of all time and different things like that. But this is truly a conversation that's bigger than hip hop. I use this word so much on this podcast ideology, but that's important to me because out of ideology, you know, you get a lot of just the trends and discussions and the way people and the way people are thinking about this thing. And that line to me is clear and down the middle. It's really how you feel about black capitalism. And see, here's a dangerous thing we do with the word black is that we'll put black in front of a word or in front of an idea. And we automatically think, well, hey, just because it's got black in front of it, then it's for me as a black person. And I keep having to remind y'all that all skin folk and kin folk. And when you talk about capitalism, just because you put black on it doesn't separate what capitalism has meant for and against black people since we've gotten to this country. And what's happening now is, is that even when I talk about or we talk about black entrepreneurship, which is important, we equate black entrepreneurship with black empowerment. And I'm explaining to you guys why that's also a problem. Because here's the difference between, or I should say, this is how black empowerment expounds and expands on black entrepreneurship. Black entrepreneurship ideally gives power to the owner. Black empowerment gives power to the owner and the employee. This is just a warm up, man, but I've already, I mean, I've pretty much like drawn my line in the sand. Um, And at the end of this episode, you're going to have a decision to make. You're going to say, hey, am I a black capitalist? Or do I care about really making a difference? What more can I say? 
Oh, I got a whole lot more to say. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country, and to be um, relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage, almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a spit the truth and not to make no dough to make a difference for this mother up and blow i mean come on man not to make no dough man i, I i'm it's the, it's the introduction to the to the podcast man i mean it's the introduction to the show man you know what it is man you listening to making a difference i'm your host ken making uh, i got a lot to get off my chest today man but before i do man oh man i gotta shout out some good people man uh brothers that support me man we you know we debate all that good stuff, man. But I mean, these guys are putting their money where their mouth is. They always have. Uh, I feel like they always will. Um, Donald Doe and Michael Doe, man, love them. They're over at Family Financial Consultants LLC. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. They offer mortgage protection, estate builders, life insurance, fin- uh, excuse me, final expense, and uh, Medicare advice and support. You can call them today at 803-293-8915. 803-293-8915. You can also try 706-503-3933. 706-503-3933. Also want to shout out Jay Harvey. I love calling him Julius, man, just to mess with him. Uh, he's over at Allstate in Evans, Georgia. He opened up his agency in 2017 because he loves to help and work with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a quick personalized insurance quote from Jay today. You can call him at 706-434-8106, 706-434-8106. Uh, if you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent and i just want to tell you guys i know we got people listening from all over the place man listen it doesn't matter whether you're listening to the show in california i know we got some folks listening out in kansas and we got people listening from all over the place you can call these brothers if you need insurance or if you're just thinking about some things you want to try to take care for for your family and you need some advice these brothers would love to hear from you so call them and so su- and support them the way that they support the making a different show i gotta correct myself man and that's that's what i do here i'm not afraid to correct myself on my own show I said uh, black empowerment. I said it strengthens the owner and the employee. I would like to say the employer and the employee because I do think there is there should be dignity with work and there should be dignity in work. And so when you and just even terminology, I think it just really in that terminology, there's a destiny. When you talk about uh, being an owner and ownership and sometimes I think that term extends to how, you know, people feel like they can treat other human beings. And so when you say employer and employee, I think there's just something in, in the relationship there that's implied um, that says, hey, I care about you uh, as a human being. I care about you as an individual. You're not just a machine. You're not just a number. And again, this is a, this, a lot of the spirit of what we're going to talk about today as we talk about complicity. And again, I was going to talk about complicity in terms of, you know, the things that we see happening in this country with mass shootings, the things that we see happening just for a very small example in education over what happened at Glen Hills High School. I cannot wait to talk about that and get some things off my chest about that. But I got to start this off with Jay-Z because this conversation right here is going to be one of those rare conversations. Generally, things will happen. And, you know, by the time the weekend hits and that weekend, you know, everybody goes out and, you know, relaxes from the job or goes out get you know get drunk party whatever it is that you do when you come at monday morning you know this story is pretty much over but i got a feeling man this jay-z thing is going to be around for a while and there's such a polarizing and just a, a 
diverse range of thought um, on this particular topic. And I, I mean, I, I tell you what, man, I cannot wait to dive into, into this thing uh, from the perspective of Jay-Z, from the perspective of the NFL, from the perspective of Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, so many different. And basically the way I'm going to address it and the way I'm going to cover it is I'm just going to work my way down just from the top of the, the situation and the, you know, what's been presented to some of the viewpoints that I know you guys have shared with me and just some of the things I've talked about with folks. And I'm just going to work my way down from there. And ultimately I'm going to end uh, with a word, you know, from Fred Hampton and what I'm seeing with this Jay-Z uh, situation in particular and with this partnership in, in particular is that we are so far removed from our heroes and from our icons and from people, you know, whom we say that we look up to and, you know, are the standard for civil rights. And so when you talk about people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, people who, I'm, who I often talk about on the show, but now I'm talking about Fred Hampton and the significance of Fred Hampton and understand all of these men who I'm talking about were assassinated. They were assassinated because not only because of their stance on race, but because of their stance on class. And that's going to be a very uh, important distinction that we make on this show today. And I want to share this with you guys, man, because I, I mean, we have discussions, you know, we talk about different things and, you know, uh, sometimes, man, stuff. I, I don't know if it's that people need a reminder or whether it's just the fact that and this is the danger with celebrity. This is why I was this is why I've said even in previous podcasts that black policies are worth more than black celebrities because what will happen is is that even just you know and i'll just do a quick comparison here jay-z and chrisette michelle they did a song once called lost ones and you know i think about chrisette michelle and you know she went to go sing at the inauguration and that was pretty much the last you heard of chrisette michelle and everybody said well you know chrisette michelle should have you know understood her target base and blah 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 and so on and so forth jay-z of course, it's not met with Donald Trump, but he has met with some of Donald Trump's good friends, uh, Robert, uh, Robert Kraft. Um, again, you know, we know how the how the NFL owners and how ownership uh, stands, you know, on this particular um, issue with uh, Kaepernick and different things like that. It's comparable. It's similar. The backlash has been a lot more polarizing. When I say backlash, there have been some people who have been in support of Jay-Z uh, saying this is a game changer, so on and so forth. you got some people who, and as you will hear on this show, uh, who are uh, denounced the move. But nothing as decisive as, you know, just some of the, the, the backlash that um, Chrisette Michelle suffered. But again, this goes back to uh, some people prioritize celebrity over their politics. They'll, they will allow more from people that, whom they like. Or, or associated with people whom they like, because make no mistake about it, the Jay-Z, Beyonce thing here, I mean, you got some some beehive folks who are going to, you know, support Jay to the end there by virtue of that marriage, partnership, so on and so forth. But at any rate, Jay-Z, NFL, come together uh, for a social justice entertainment partnership, which for me was the first red flag because I don't see there being a way that you can prepackage or market social justice and entertainment um, for myself personally, understanding just even uh, what Colin Kaepernick took a knee for in the first place. I don't see where you can marry uh, just the, the tragedies that have happened in terms of, you know, police brutality um, and how you can marry that to entertainment. Um, it just doesn't happen. I know people will say, well, you know, you have people who, you know, will rap about these things. I understand that um, that is uh, different than what is being presented here uh, by Jay-Z and this group. And not only what's being presented, but also what is being implied and it's being implied you know when jay-z makes comments uh such as well and i'll say the equivalent of comments such as we've moved past kneeling and this is 
like I said, it's, this has shown me so much of um, just where, where people's mindsets are. And, and it's something that's that's very alarming to me. Again, social justice, entertainment are two terms that should not be married. Um, and when you marry them, what you're going to get is, is you're going to get a backlash from people. You're going to get a justifiable backlash from people because this terminology in and of itself sounds disingenuous. Disingenuous is a word that I will use even to extend um, when you look at just some of the background of how this partnership was made. December 2018, Travis Scott was going to play the Super Bowl. Um, it, you know, was going and said he was going to play the Super Bowl, you know, during a period of time where a lot of folks said that they were not going to play the Super Bowl because the NFL, um, you know, blackballed or kept out Colin Kaepernick. Jay-Z was one of those individuals who reached out to, who reportedly reached out to Travis Scott and said, hey, Trap, don't do this. That was December 2018. According to reports, January 2019, Jay-Z meets with Roger Goodell and Robert Kraft, the sex thing king, Robert Kraft, Trump's boy. They met together to talk about this social justice partnership. That's talking out of both sides of your neck, talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's disingenuous. There's no way around that. So the very genesis of this partnership is problematic. So Jay-Z's been meeting with Kraft and Goodell for, you know, months or, you know, however long. And so we've finally come to, you know, middle of August and, you know, there's this this meeting. It's not open to the media. Well, it's not so much open to the media. It's uh, the only people who recorded it, you know, were the NFL. And you got Jay-Z, you know, cozying up uh, buddy buddy with Goodell. The optics of it were so bad. The optics of it are bad. Um, and then there's the elephant in the room, which is Colin Kaepernick's not at the table. So at one point, Jay-Z says, well, you know, I spoke with Kaepernick, blah, 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 which turned out to be, again, disingenuous or a lie. And what this looks like is a situation where Jay-Z took the sacrifice and the struggle of Colin Kaepernick and by that extension, Eric Reed, and used it. For his own personal gain. Now, this is where we get to the interesting stuff because now we're getting into the conversations about, you know, well, Eric Reed's getting paid by the NFL and, you know, Eric Reed doesn't have a right to be, you know, mad at Jay Z. You know, Colin Kaepernick and those guys, um, you know, they signed the, the collusion suit with the NFL. What's the difference? I'm glad you asked. We will start with Colin Kaepernick and we will start with the collusion suit. And it's ironic because collusion uh, is, you know, a, um, a synonym for complicity. And I will say on this podcast, if I've, as I have said before, that personally, I did not agree with settling with the NFL because I felt like uh, Brother Cap and Reed had a really strong case against the NFL. Now, we know how the justice system works. You know, the strength of your case does not always equal getting justice. And that may have been something that factored into them signing the collusion suit. Me personally, I would have seen it out to the end because at that point it would have been bigger than me. It would have been about, you know, all of the players in the NFL uh, It would have been about, you know, just future generations. It would have been about just attacking that particular injustice and that system of injustice that exists in the NFL. That's what it would, would have been for me. But there are so many things to take into consideration with that. And I said that uh, on the previous podcast, uh, the name of that podcast, I believe, was um, the last time Colin Kaepernick sold out. 
And if you haven't listened to it, by all means, go back and listen to that one after you um, you listen to this podcast. Nevertheless, Cap and Reed settled with the NFL. Now, let's talk about the significance of that in relationship to Jay-Z partnering with the NFL. The profound difference, differences between Cap and Reed and Jay-Z, first of all, should be obvious. Cap and Reed put their butts on the line for this thing. Cap is still not in the league because of the stance that he took against social injustice, against police brutality, against the treatment of veterans. And that in and of itself shows me two things. First, it shows me that kneeling, the idea of kneeling, had been co-opted long before Jay-Z. And I've said that on the podcast previously. Because here's the thing about it. The whole, the whole part of kneeling, I, I, and I've said before, I said kneeling, I said it, it wasn't as powerful enough of a gesture. It wasn't as profound enough of, of a gesture because you have people right now in August 2019, years after this protest, years after Cap has been out of the NFL, who still don't understand the why. And by virtue of the why Colin Kaepernick took a knee, this was always bigger than Colin Kaepernick. So even for me, and as I sit up here and I'm saying right now, I'm not watching the NFL. This has always been bigger than Colin Kaepernick. This has always been bigger than Eric Reed. Because when you talk about social justice and social injustice, and when you talk about these things, they're always going to be bigger than the individual because it affects all of us. It affects every black and brown person in this country, in this world. And so when you get people saying, well, Jay-Z's at the table, and if Jay-Z becomes a part owner, um, you know, maybe he can get Colin Kaepernick in the league. I, I'm boycotting even as it's, you know, even as Colin Kaepernick has settled with the NFL, because this is always for me. This is bigger. This is bigger than Colin Kaepernick. This is about Steve Wilkes, former coach of the Arizona Cardinals, who was fired in a calendar year, who was hired in a January 2018 was given practically nothing to work with, won three games, and was promptly fired on New Year's Eve for a coach who didn't even have a winning record in college. And there are so many more stories I can tell about Vance Joseph, about you know the good old boy system that exists in the NFL where a coach for the Miami Dolphins, Adam Gase, who had a losing record, uh, was not only hired by the New York Jets, but also was allowed to serve as an interim general manager for a month. To be able to make those not to not just be a play caller on the field, but a play caller virtually for the franchise. But but what merits did he have to be able to do that? This is the NFL. The NFL is trash. And this is whom Jay-Z is choosing to partner with. And then so, you know, days go by and because at first, you know, everybody's doing this whole wait and see thing. And, and the whole wait and see thing doesn't work for me. Because I went through this with you guys when Diddy said he wanted to be the owner of the <clears throat> North Carolina Panthers. And I said to you guys then, I said, Diddy doesn't have the capital and Diddy doesn't have the clout to be able to put himself in a position to be an owner. Jay-Z, uh, just being by himself, I understand, hey, Jay-Z's a billionaire, just recently became a billionaire. Just, look, dipped his toe in the pool of being a billionaire and, I, and obviously happy for the brother. But you can just look at the previous partnership that he had with the Brooklyn Nets and how and what a part of uh, being a part owner meant for him. And, I, you know, his uh, uh, ownership stake, I think, was around was around one percent, which is <laughs> I mean, 
influence does not equal ownership. And I understood he was, you know, was the face of that, um, you know, was the, was the face of the franchise in a lot of different ways. Maybe was more recognizable than the owner, the actual owner at that time. But I mean, that makes you a mascot. Congratulations. And then you, <laughs> then Jay-Z allowed himself to be associated with some of the gentrification that happened in Brooklyn during that time. What is 1% of ownership and being the face of the gentrification of a borough or of neighborhoods? Like, what is that to, to put on your resume? What is that to say, hey, look at me. And my contention has always been when we talk about ownership in uh, professional sports or ownership in general, if you don't own 51%, if you're not a majority owner, lose my number. You're not an owner. I've told guys, I said, you know, he, he's going to be a part owner. He's going to get cap a job. No, fam, fam, stop. So so we're going we're gonna to big up him because he's half a slave owner. That's that's what we're doing now. And I, I, I really broke this down to a, a brother yesterday, man. And in hindsight, I'm really glad that we were able to have that conversation because at the at the point of um, our the online debate, man, I was really kind of getting to a point where I was getting a little not so much, so much frustrated, man. But you get to a point where you feel like, hey. I'm, I'm basically arguing with Jay-Z fans, but you know, to this guy's credit, we, uh, we had to talk and he was saying, and basically I said the whole half a slave owner bit. And he was saying, well, last time I checked slaves didn't get paid. And then I thought about Kurt flood and what he said to Howard Cosell. You're a man who makes $90,000 a year, which isn't exactly slave wages. What's your retort to that? Uh, a well-paid slave is nonetheless a slave. And if you don't know who that brother is and the significance of his comments, God bless you. Um, Kurt Flood uh, changed free agency in sports forever, not just for Major League Baseball, but also for the NBA. You don't have LeBron James' decision without Kurt Flood. Uh, Kurt Flood became one of the pivotal figures in, the, in Major League Baseball's labor history when he refused to accept a trade following the 1969 season and ultimately appealed that case to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, his legal challenge was unsuccessful, and it you know, basically uh, ended his career, ended his livelihood, but it brought the other players together. You know, we just had like in the NBA, they just had like, this amazing free agency period and it made the owners angry, uh, made, you know, management angry. But we as fans, we loved it because for one thing, it was exciting. But for the other part, the players had so much leverage. The labor class had so much leverage and we have Kurt Flood to thank for that. When people mention slavery in terms of sports and entertainment, it's hard for people to grasp and understand that because you say, well, these guys are making so many millions of dollars or these guys are making so much more money than I would ever make. And we don't ever look at the labor conditions. We never look at, you know, the freedoms that these individuals have or don't have. And so we're not able to make that correlation. And it's sad and it's something that you know, I get tired of saying this, but I'm saying these things on the show and I'm not saying them, uh, when, you know, when you have when there's a book like, you know, Million Dollar Slaves, this stuff is not being said or always being said to be provocative. This stuff is being said to be profound and you got to pay attention to this stuff. And a lot of times, you know, when I have these debates and when I have these dialogues with folks, I'm looking at this thing from a historical perspective. I'm looking at this thing from, uh, you know, uh, a position of where we're humanizing people, where we're humanizing black people because we're talking about black athletes. Just something else in general, just an antidote I'm going to throw in real quick. If you haven't read The Heritage by Howard Bryant, please, 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 please um, put that on your on your reading list. 
Like that's mando. That's mandatory, man. Make that happen. Uh, share with your kids. You know, if you got kids who are, um, you know, who are who are reading, um, maybe not your young kids. Even though, man, if your kids are reading on that level and stuff like that at that age, man, God bless y'all as parents. But especially like your preteens and your teenagers. You know, kids getting ready to go to college. A book that forever changed my life. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it. Uh, on making a difference before is why black people tend to shout. I don't even remember how I came across that book, but I'm forever grateful. Uh, it really led me on the path of of sports commentary and, and just some of the things that I'm sharing with you guys now uh, would not uh, be possible without Why Black People Tend to Shout by the late, great uh, Ralph Wiley. God rest his soul. This is a good place for a quick commercial, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, do that. Um, when we come back, I want to talk about Jay-Z and what he actually had the autonomy to do by virtue of his wealth. And I want to talk about you know, how um, goodwill and philanthropy can be used as capitalism and clout. <laughs> Stick with us, man. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Mackin. We're talking about complicity, and we're talking about it through the uh, lens and the perspective of the Jay-Z Rock Nation partnership. Uh, controversial partnership, more than controversial, is uh crooked just from the perspective of putting together the social justice and entertainment piece but jay-z and had a chance to uh, read a compelling uh, commentary probably the more probably the most compelling commentary that i read this weekend uh, that was uh, in support of the partnership and i well we'll we'll say support of the partnership and it um that commentary basically you know centered around just jay-z and you know where he came from who he was, who he is fundamentally, how he's basically been able to be, you know, a black guy moving in white spaces. And basically um, it was said that, you know, Jay-Z was basically trying to um, create leverage and trying to build leverage, you know, as a virtue and as a function of, you know, doing social justice, but not being able to do that without money. And my first and well, aside from uh, Fred Hampton, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, which was the the immediate thing that came to mind was Fred Hampton. But aside from that, and I, and I think about leverage and money and different things like that. And I have to just say, Jay-Z's a billionaire. Jay-Z is a billionaire. That's, that's what's being reported. That's what's being celebrated. That's what's being, um, you know, all, all of these different things where we're, we're, we're dancing in the streets and we're cheering for Jay-Z. He's a billionaire. Being a billionaire gives you autonomy. Being a billionaire gives you a base a financial base where we've talked you know people have talked for years about starting their own league i mean if you can't do that with a billion dollars i mean (laughs) how much more money is it going to take to do something like that but even beyond that even if you didn't want to start a league 
even if, if this was truly about social justice, like how, how much more money, I mean, in, in influence, can you get that you don't already have with a billion dollars without being in the, on the short list of greatest rappers of all time? And again, this is a, a conversation that's bigger than hip hop. But I'm just talking about in terms of all of these things that you that you yourself are bringing to the table. In the spirit of what you profess to be wanting to change, change the system and change things around you. At some point, this isn't about leverage it. Well, and, and leverage, of course, is, is a function of power. But I mean, the saying goes, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And then I can't help but just think about the, the book Animal Farm, George Orwell's Animal Farm. And that last uh, last chapter, almost the last paragraph where you have Napoleon and Napoleon, of course, you know, rose to the um, ascended to, you know, to the top of, um, you know, Animal Farm. And what happened was is that, you know, they, he was having backdoor deals with the humans. And so the animals, the other animals looked into um, but Pilkington was his name, the farmer um, looked into the house. And the basically what was said was, is that they could not tell the difference between the humans and the pigs. And I'm looking at the situation with Jay-Z and Goodell, and I can't tell the difference between, you know, Jay-Z supposedly supposing to be this good guy. And we again, we know uh who and what Goodell represents. I can't tell the difference now. And that's unfortunate because Jay-Z has done all of these different things. Jay-Z's paid lawyer fees. Jay-Z has, um, you know, donated money to social justice causes. And those things are very admirable. But what concerns me is that you have an individual who throws money at a cause without understanding the bigger picture. And when I say without understanding the bigger picture, I mean, if you understood the bigger picture, you would use your influence. You would use your wealth in a way where you would not allow yourself to become a mascot for the white establishment, which is what Jay-Z has now become. Make no mistake about it. You know, they're talking about Jay-Z being in, in an advisory role and he may be a part owner. He's a mascot for a white establishment agenda. And, it, and it's it's truly sad. And black folk in general are getting shortchanged because Jay-Z can only make those moves through his currency. And his currency is the influence that he has over black folks, ba basically pitching blackness to white folks. That's that, 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 that's what's happening here. OK, and and you hate to see it. And I hate to see it because, hey, I grew up this. I mean, Blueprint, Blueprint 2, Black Album. Listen, I mean, I was there. I was there with y'all. Like I said, I was at fam, you know what I'm saying? On Taltran, like when Blueprint dropped. And I was like, oh man, did he really say that about Nas? I was there with y'all. But see, my thing is, is like some people can't grow past those things. So people, some people can't get past the celebrity. It's a hard thing to do, man, because what happens is, is that you realize, man, there aren't any heroes or my heroes are shallow. I've read enough. I've experienced enough to understand that people will use philanthropy as a tool and as an arm of capitalism, as a tool as an, and as an arm of saying, hey, these people are winners and these people are losers, which is what capitalism is. And if you look at the history of this country, you have to understand that the overwhelming majority of losers in the capitalist society have been black people through slavery, through Jim Crow. Y'all, man, y'all heard me go down the line with that stuff, man, with Reconstruction. Y'all know what I'm finna say. 
And Jay-Z doesn't have to go that route. Jay-Z is truly in a place of autonomy where he can go full bore and say, you know what? Uh, social justice is a passion of mine. It's a passion of my wife's, and we're going to attack this thing full bore. They don't have to play. Um, they don't have to straddle the fence. They don't have to play both sides of the game. They choose to do that. And I did include you, and I did include Beyonce in that. So I know the Beehive's mad too right now. It is what it is, man. And I have to attack the actions. I have to attack the ideologies because I understand how much influence these people have and how much this, um, how much the actions of others and the ideas of others affect people's thinking on a wide scale. Because then we start rapping what's better than one billionaire too. And we start saying, you know, I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. And then we start treating people according to these newfound uh, ideals that are just, you know, basic functions of capitalism, um, you know, prepackaged, um, marketed over and over again. And the cycle continues. Now, let me come back to Cap and Reed and specifically Eric Reed, because what I'm saying in conversations with Eric Reed is that people are basically saying about Eric Reed, what <laughs> Cedric Entertainer said about Rosa Parks and Barbershop. Y'all remember the line, but I'm gonna run it back for you. Now, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folk, but in front of your own speak my mind. Rosa Park ain't do nothing but sit her black ass down. No, no, hold on, hold on now, Seinfeld. You might learn something right now. I'm going to give her a just do. I'm going to give her a just do for what she did. Her act led to the movement and everything. But, but, but she down show ain't special. No, it was a whole lot of black folk sat down on bus and they got thrown in jail and they did it way for Rosa did. Oh, and they did it yeah. way for yeah. Only yeah. difference between yeah. them and her is that she's secretary at the NAACP and she know Martin Luther King and, and they got a lot of publicity. I mean, it sounds funny. I mean, really, you know, it. people, like, we laughed at it. I mean, it even sounds provocative, you know, when you put some, you know, even when you think about just the Claudette Colvin and her role, you know, uh, and some of the things that uh, Cedric's character alluded to, I mean, it it almost makes it sound like, hey, you know, he's got a point. It trivializes the struggle. And that's what's happening now with Eric Reed. When you say when Eric Reed, well, all he did was take a knee. You're trivializing the fact that that man, when he gestured with Colin Kaepernick, put his career, his life, and his livelihood on the line. And so what you have here with these two individuals, with Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, is that they're trying to recoup their losses. Losses that they gained directly from a struggle that they directly participated in. And let me remind you, who had their back? Very few people. The players, didn't, the, the league definitely didn't have their back. The league stood in direct opposition to them to include the players because the players, well, I will say the majority of the players and by extension, the fans, because, hey, we just wanted to watch ball games and I'm complicit. I'm guilty because I watched the games. I protested and I complained about how they treated Kaepernick and I watched the games at the same time. Hey, I, I did it. They were let down by virtually everybody. And we have to think about that even as we think about why they decided to settle. Because those guys had pretty much gotten used to being on an island and not knowing how that thing was going to end up and how that thing was going to shake out. And so even now, as Eric Reed is back in the league, because they started again, and Eric Reed has made this point eloquently, saying, hey, we, we started out in this thing as professional athletes. And we had a concern. And Eric Reed is still speaking truth to power 
about those concerns. And at the end of the day, when it comes to Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick, they had skin in the game. The only thing Jay-Z did was take their struggle, literally put on a, you know, a Kaepernick jersey and play SNL. And everybody was like, oh, he's so woke. Oh, Jay-Z, he's the GOAT. Nah, 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 nah. Pimp their struggle um, and used it as clout to gain favor with NFL, the NFL establishment, with the white establishment. And if you think I went too far by saying that, then now we have reports that Jay-Z um, is going to get some type of ownership stake again in the NFL. And what, what is that going to look like? I mean, is he going to be a majority owner? Nope. They're already saying he's going to be a part owner. So, and 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 see, my thing is, is that it's too easy to just say, oh, he's a sellout. He's a coon. He's all these different type of things. Because from to me, it gives people too much, um, you know, it, it, it becomes name calling and it's, and it really doesn't get to the meat and bones of why people do the things that they do and understanding the nuance of these things and why it's important to be able to break this thing down and say, hey, here are the inherent dangers of capitalism, black capitalism, white capitalism, capitalism. Because what happens is, is that you you're going to prioritize profits and you're going to prioritize money over people. And that's what capitalism does. And a lot of you guys listening to this podcast want to be that guy, want to be Jay-Z. I've said this on this podcast while listening to 444. Uh, Jay-Z says, what's better than one billionaire too? Eh. What's better than one billionaire for black folks is a thriving black middle class. It is taking that billion dollars and dividing it down to where people have $100,000 of of wealth. And how far does that go when you divide a billion into 100,000 or into 250,000? Now you have the beginning of something. But I'm telling you what's happening and I'm, I'm seeing it on social media. I'm seeing it with, you know, um, small business owners who are African-American and they're seeing what's going on with Jay-Z and they're saying things like like chess, not checkers. And what I'm saying is, is I'm seeing a modern day elitism. And it's very scary because people will associate what Jay-Z is doing as progress. And what you're going to end up having having is another situation where you have the haves and the have-nots. It's just going to be a, a new a, a new generation of haves and have-nots. Because here's what you got to understand about capitalism: is that one of the uh, key uh, politics associated with capitalism is, is respectability politics. We justify haves and have-nots. We justify why why certain people are poor or why certain people lack opportunity. We make it about them. We blame them. We say, "Well, you're not working as hard as I am," or you know, um, "You let your kids do this, and my kids do this." And we do these things where we demean people. And in this case, with black capitalism, we demean people who look like us. And don't say it doesn't happen, that that was a liar. We do it to the hood all the time. We do it to the ghetto all the time. Oh, that's them people over there. We can't wait to move to the burbs. We can't wait to, to move on up, you know, to the other side of town. And I'm not saying that progress is a bad thing. But understand that in entrepreneurship, that doesn't help the employer and the employee is elitism. I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. that's that's factually inaccurate there have been entire movements that have taken place in this country supported by african-americans the least of which is the civil rights movement that did not have a whole lot of money uh that were that were supporting them that were that were helping them to function yet those things were progressive those things were successful in a lot of ways but people don't want to hear that people don't want to hear again that their heroes were anti-capitalists no, people want to say things like, oh, Jay-Z, um, 
Look, he's he's playing chess, not checkers. And even that's elitist. <laughs> I'm I'm laughing, man, because I'm hearing this stuff and they're like certain cues, man, where that I'm seeing and I'm not even being able to hear the inflection and tone of what people are saying, but just the words that they choose and the commentary that they use and whether they're getting off of people or whether it's something that they believe in their heart. Understand what chess is. Chess is a sport of kings. Chess is a game where it's already established who's a pawn, who's a bishop, who's a king, who's a queen. All that's established before you even move a single piece. When you say chess, not checkers, understand at least checkers is a meritocracy. Checkers is, hey, if I get from one side of the board to the other side of the board, then I'm a king. I will prefer that. I will prefer that the work that you put in, and yes, you're going to jump over people, but hey, at least that's a meritocracy. In chess, you know what you got to do as a pawn? Man, you know how hard, do you know how hard it is for a pawn to become a king or a queen or whatever? A pawn, it takes a lot of work. It's chess, not checkers. It's elitism. Let's call it what it is. I um, But let me do this because I, I want you guys to hear it from the mouth of Fred Hampton. When we talk about racism, when we talk about capitalism, I want you to hear it from a man who, because he believed so strongly and his uh, ideologies were so pure and profound, the man was able to create a multicultural coalition. And naturally, the evil powers of this country said, hey. We, we can't we can't allow this guy to build these type of coalitions because he's going to transcend not only race, he's going to transcend class and he's going to be able to mobilize people together against this wickedness. And so they shot him, shot him in his own bed. Fred Hampton, ladies and gentlemen. What makes them mad about it? What makes them mad about it is that they had black people and white poor people and red poor people and Puerto Rican poor people and Latin American poor Rican people of uh, uh, poor people of all descent. They had them caught up in their movements based on racism when the Black Panther Party stood up and said that we don't care what anybody says. We don't think you fight fire with fire, bitch. We think you fight fire with water, bitch. We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but we're going to fight with solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it with socialism. We stood up and said we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state attorneys like this and reactionary state attorneys like Hanrahan with any other reactions on our part. We're going to fight their reactions with all of us people to get together and have an international proletarian revolution. Right on. Right on. Right on. Right on. And that's saying all power to the people. Right on. That's saying that no matter what color you are, you're just one of two classes. And that's saying there's a class over here and there's a class over there. And the reason that this class over here has never did anything to get this class off its back because this is lower, this is upper, this is the oppressed, this is the oppressor, this is the exploited, this is the exploiter. And these people in this class have divided themselves. They say, I'm black and I hate white people. I'm white and I hate black people. I'm Latin American and I hate hillbillies. I'm hillbillies and I hate Indians. So we fight amongst each other. And you, you've heard the testimony of pigs here. You got pigs of all colors, you know that. Tricky Dicky Nixon. 
if you make the right decisions and impress people with the world and get complete satisfaction. I know you return to get ready for not guilty. Thank you. I could have stopped that conversation after the proletariat revolution. I could have stopped it after he said, well, you can't stop capitalism with black capitalism. You can only stop it with socialism. I wanted you to hear that two minutes and 16 seconds in its entirety. Because I told you at the beginning of this podcast that you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision whether you want to be a capitalist, black capitalist, or whether you really want to make a difference. And so I've been talking to y'all for 30 minutes, man. You can make that decision uh, here and now. Uh, you can maybe take some time and listen to it. I'm going to give you just a, uh, you know, I'm going to play some music. We're going to run a few ads, man. I'm going to let you make up your mind. But on the second half, on the B side of this thing, man, I want to talk about um, the complicity that exists in, with the mass shootings, with this thing, this crazy thing. That happened over at Glen Hills High School and with the way that black folks, the way we do in politics, man, in this two party system, because um, at some point, man, word to uh, one of the advertisers on this show, man, at some point, man, the BS got to stop. But I'm going to say less, man. This is making a difference. I seen AK-47, 47. I seen sawed off shotguns. shotguns. I seen all of this, all of this. I seen dynamite on the street. Surrounded by violence and murder Say we in the street and we gripping on heat You got beef and we frying your burp My shoes on my feet and my words and my balls Is all I got fuck with a murder What happened to you why I'm certain? I'm certain as hell and I'm ripping the tail of Satan itself to serpent. We poor and ain't no social service. We go in the store, they look nervous. So dab them to hell or damn me to jail like fuck it, we robbing the merchants. The preachers sound silly in service. Convincing my mama that all of her drama must certainly deserve You ain't been getting this money all your life. Oh, you forgot about the roaches and all the mice. Out here living an alcoholic rapper artist life. What happened to artist life? All of your kids is in charter school and you starting to do everything in private. Maybe that's from all of the chartered flights. Make sure whatever you're doing's not in the dark. You know the shit is bound to come out eventually underneath all the lights. Rob a man, kidnap him, take him for all his rights. Degrade him all his life, rape his daughter, his wife. Nine months later, used the baby as piranha bait. We wasn't even allowed to pray, let alone read or write. People like Cube open them doors and politically correct Negroes like you close them to keep your ice. Platform, they make you feel like they love you there. Your whole platform can swim with the fishes like Huggy Bear. Your Maybach in your house is like that important that you won't move at all. Distractions that you won't say anything at all in risk of losing something. Right. You won't say anything on anyone's behalf at this point. You ain't been getting riches your whole life. 
Oh, you'd have forgot. The oven door open on the stove in the kitchen to heat up the house because they didn't cut the heat off in your home, right? Okay. Now you thinking you living so far away just because you neighbors with Britney and K-Fit. Every artist in the game a phony. Fucking all the same thotties in the game since way back. And all the same thoughts in the game. Been giving the same top to the same guys in the game like one of Sway Hats. The plight of the miserable wasted talent. Only guys with the hits are the Tigers, Drakes, and Callets. Shit, this is what happens when your favorite artists never get challenged. Your favorite fella from the NFL has been silenced. My dad said under no circumstance should a man considered a legend have nothing left on his deathbed. And any black man not willing to stand up for his own rights should lose the use of his right and left leg. They say I couldn't do it, so I went out and did it. They said they gave it to me, so I ain't asked for more. I stayed active every time a door slammed in my face, stayed at the door. I stayed knocking, I stayed rocking. I did it my way without all the complaining and all the whining all day like Kanye or Wale for the validation of all the bloggers and all the same gay ass awards. Fuck y'all and all them gay ass awards. We all living inside the same hell and we all willing to die to go to the same heaven. But we are lyrically not on the same level. I'm scribbling my killings down and sending them out like chain letters. I'm not here for the crown of Tory Lane's cheddar. I'm here for respect or else I'm willing to take off the belt and whoop a young nigga's ass with it like James Evans. What house Negro would look at you and say, man, you crazy. What do you mean separate? Where is there a better house than this? Where can I wear better clothes than this? So is that house Negro. In those days, he was called a house nigga. And that's what we call him today, because we still got some house niggas running around here. You only been living a small part of your life all the way up. Oh, you forgot about the home that you grew up in. Where you were starving with nothing. When there was stripes on all the canned goods in your closets and cupboards. You grew stripes and you developed the heart of a hustler. My grind shot hard as fuck. I go back in time, so George Washington car for a nut. Plus, none of these artists can beat me. I'm Truman and Christ on the Noah's Ark on the waters of Fiji. I'm truly the type that'll push your wig farther than BC. Leave your brains all over the street. My heart's on my sleeve. Put my seed in the garden of Eden and start a new species, please. You know my steeds, how you got a team and you ain't got loyalty. How is y'all the kings and you ain't got royalties? I've been around homicides, Marky D, Kurok, Ski, you disorderlies, you know my steeds. Children is dying, women is crying, we under attack, fool. What a better time to be famous, black, and impactful. Name something better to come together as one to react to. Shit, we still coming back from a checkered pass like lumberjack suits. You play for the NFL, I just want to ask you. If you don't kneel with cap, it's simple math, can I run it past you? Niggas innovate, people penetrate, exclamate off our inner hate. We oblige, so they make the riches, we don't rise, they just keep us high. Product of slave privilege, cop Ferraris to race a nigga. I'll do any job you can pay if I can make a living. Vodka straight, a whole lot of pacing, just so I can make a decision. Keep an honorable spirit with not a whole lot of faith to distribute. They took the scriptures away and replaced it after making their own racist revisions. They're crazy, basically they create shit just to play shit, to take away shit, to rig it. I'm pretty sure they make her, it's livid. They racist, they bigots. What's Christian about that? The fakeness is vivid, the paper is printed. They should wake up every day and pray to the nature of business. Fuck a Laker, I can never play for the Pistons at the expense of creating division. The wraith of exquisite, I'm about that paper, but it's gonna probably take me a minute. I'd much rather be an atheist chasing my faith through a prism, assuming the information is real, than play for a race with a racist agenda i hate you niggas bow figures the misappropriation of wisdom got you slaves to your own alienism to pay a few bills house nigga 
I'd rather get hit with a Patriot missile than to be out here with you exhibiting patriotism. They say a broke clock is right two times, but it's never accurate. Truth time. Okay, if some of us don't have time, some of us have time, some of us performing at halftime, some of us boycotting halftime, some of us standing up, some of us sitting down. Reparations will never get back to us. They'll forever just laugh at us. I think I found a way for you niggas to face your truth. Go ahead and try to trace your roots. And that shit is rather miraculous. Them niggas took away the messaging, mess with the message in it, embellish it just to spin it, just to sell a shit back to us. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Man, if you're still here, I'm grateful, man, that you're still here. I know, like I said, I, I thought this would be a pretty polarizing podcast, man, just because, you know, of the nature of the content and just talking about Jay-Z, but I said what I said and it needed to be said, so... I want to thank the sponsors once again for their support. Also want to thank my friends on Patreon. I got um got some new folks supporting me on there, man. I'm forever grateful for all of the support uh, for making a difference. You can follow us, of course, on SoundCloud. Download, download the SoundCloud app, soundcloud.com, uh, and follow the Making a, the making a Difference show at soundcloud.com backslash making a difference, M-A-K-I-N, a difference. And also follow me on Facebook. Facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference show. That's Facebook.com backslash making a difference show. You can support us financially and I always encourage people to support black media, support black owned, black owned media and media for black people. Now you can do that with making a difference. Um, if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that via cash app. It is dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N a difference show. That's dollar sign M-A-K-I-N a difference show. You can also support us by being a month-to-month supporter of Patreon. You can do $1, $5, $500, whatever's on your heart. Um, And that is uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash making M-A-K-I-N a different show. Um, Just appreciate, like I said, just all the support, man. Even if you're just following the podcast, man, or just, you know, sharing the podcast, man. I'm forever grateful for your support, man. This is a message and a commentary that needs to get out there and, I will continue on uh, with the second half with the B-side of this episode of Making a Difference, which is complicity. And this is uh, what you're going to hear more on the second half. It's going to be more of what the original uh, podcast was going to sound like before. Um, You know, everything happened with Jay-Z, Rock Nation, the NFL partnership. Because I really want to talk about complicity just from the perspective of what we do, um, you know, when different things happen, when mass shootings happen, when violent things happen in our schools, you know, our politics different things like that. So I actually, I'm just going to start just from the mass shooting aspect. And we've gotten to a point in this country now uh, where it's, it's pretty predictable, you know, when these type of things happen. And with that, I actually want to go ahead and share. Uh, there's a, there's this a, cynical thing uh, that someone posted. It's, it's cynical and also cynical. Um, so it says mass shooting and it draws an arrow to thoughts and prayers, draws an arrow to uh, Facebook or social media debates. Then it draws another arrow to everyone forgets. Then Congress does nothing. Then uh, crickets chirping, then back to mass shooting, and the cycle goes on and on and on and on. I also want to shout out uh, my brother, uh, Maine, from the More Than a Masters podcast. And he posted something. He said, a bunch of innocent people got murdered. What should we do? Was the murderer Muslim? Yes. Travel bans? No. Or if no, was the murderer Hispanic? Yes. Build a wall. No. Was the murderer black? Yes. More cops in prisons? No. Was the murderer white? And if the murderer was white, then you do thoughts and prayers. Look. Oof. I mean, facts only. That's that's what we do on the Making a Difference show. We sell it like a T.I. Tiz, you know. But long story short, we've gotten to a point in this country where, you know, we know exactly how these things are going to go. And, and we've known how this this was going to go and, and this will continue to go uh, post Sandy Hook. 
and post, you know, President Obama, you know, petitioning the Congress and, you know, Congress, you know, not doing anything, despite the fact that you had a, I mean, elementary school that got shot up. And so this is where we are years later. And yes, most of America is complicit with what happens with these mass shootings. The first thing I want to say, and, and this is to me the, the uh, pressing uh, issue, because, again, this show is for black. It's by black people for black people. And so if you if we're going to you know be on the show, and if we're going to talk about civil rights and we're going to talk about, you know, uh, progressive policy and different things like that, then you have to understand that you don't have civil rights in the history of this country without having armed self-defense. And so when we have these conversations moving forward, I'm going to talk to you about armed self-defense and I'm going to encourage you to go get your gun license to do everything that uh, that you need to do to make sure that you and your family are protected. And I'm going to say this and do this and encourage this not only in the spirit of the Black Panthers, but even pre Black Panthers when you talk about black reconstruction. And so when you talk about the period after the Civil War, you know, um, where black folks were able to make gains, not only in terms of labor, but in terms of politics and the response of white supremacy was to basically just go on riots and just basically run through the South, um, you know, just like on a, on a run of terror uh, that eventually yielded Jim Crow. But during that time, if you and I and so much of what I'm talking about on the show, I know a lot of this stuff, um, you know, I'm saying a lot. But the good thing is you can press the pause button. So like even just previously, you know, Kurt Flood, you can pause, do a uh, Google search or a wiki search and look up Kurt Flood. You can pause uh, and look up Fred Hampton and look up these different, um, you know, look up Fred Hampton and just the uh, the way that that man was just I mean, the things that he stood for, but also the way that man was murdered is just so unbelievable. But in that same vein, I would encourage you to look up um, armed self-defense, you know, some of the Black Panthers philosophies and some of the the actually the acts of government that <laughs> that were passed by virtue and by in the result of the Black Panthers taking that stance. And also just some of the things that uh, were done during Black Reconstruction or rather during Reconstruction by by Black people. And going along with that and going in the same vein is vitally important that we have sensible gun regulations. You don't need we don't need assault rifles. You don't need a gun where you pull the trigger and just so many ten like tens of rounds are going off. That's not necessary. You can have your guns, you can love your guns, but it's clear that at this point there need to be gun regulations. And so everything that I'm going to be talking about during the second half of this podcast is going to be solutions oriented. So here's where we are. We're at a place where the government, local, state, abroad has uh well, excuse me, local, state, national They've shown us that they are not going to take the adequate steps that need to be taken um, in terms of uh, gun rights, gun safety, um, you know, protecting the populace, protecting our schools, places like that. So I'm going to tell you right now, as individuals, you need to protect yourselves. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a pastor and there's not a security plan or a plan that involves some type of um, armed security, you're doing yourself and you're doing your congregation a disservice. I said it. I mean, you can't have the events of Mother Emanuel. You can't have... Um, some of the near misses and things like that that have happened, not just recently, but just like I said, throughout American history and not understand that churches are targets, particularly black churches. And I would just say congregations of color in general, because, you know, we see this with mosques and things like that, where they are uh, under siege and under attack. And, you know, and I'm just I'm saying all these things and I'm just thinking these are just things that you do as as individuals that we do just kind of within our own neighborhoods, within close proximity. But at some point we have to uh, um address the issue 
of politicians and of elected officials who do not see the urgency or who have been co-opted into thinking that um, the status quo for guns and how and how we do business with guns in this country is acceptable. We got acceptable, and we got to get those people out of office. To me, that's a period, you know, non-negotiable thing. Um, you know, and th- and this is why it's so important to vet candidates. And I'm saying, you know, just and I'm gonna go ahead and make that transition now because to me the <laughs> the gun the gun conversation in this country is pretty cut and dry. Um, we're at a, we're at a place where you got to protect yourself. Um, you know, if you have to pause the podcast or maybe you'll wait until the end of this podcast, pause it. If you don't have your gun license, figure out how much it's going to cost you to get your gun license. Find out, you know, um, in some states, you know, you can just go ahead and get your guns and get your gun license. And that's that other states and other areas, um, you have to, you know, take a class or different things like that, but that, that needs to be a priority. That needs to be something that you need to be looking at doing look this week (laughs) or, you know, in the immediate future, because, uh, this stuff is not getting any better, but that's cut and dry. And, you know, I understand that people have, you know, different, you know, religious concerns about that. Um, it's an issue of safety. It's an issue of security. Um, and, and those things need to happen. Um, now not <laughs> look, not, uh, five, look five minutes ago, not even five years ago, but this, this, because this stuff has been happening in this country. Um, you know, and you can go back to, we can say Columbine, Sandy hook, you know, you can name those places, but, for black people, this has been happening pretty much since the uh, the inception of this country. So protect yourself, protect your families. But I do want to go ahead and, uh, and make that transition here very quickly as we're you know talking about politics and talking about elected officials. And we're going to talk about this from the perspective of the Democratic Party and what I just really just see as a circus right now. Because uh, Dems are doing here in 2019 what... Uh, Republicans did in 2015, which was basically throw a bunch of candidates at the wall and seeing which ones stick. And so what ends up what what's happening is, is that when you take that approach to politics, sometimes what ends up sticking is, you know, like a, a pile of you know what, because I mean, that's basically what happened with Republicans. And so incidentally, that's, you know, who we have uh, as, you know, the commander in chief right now. And so what we have here in 2019 is, is that your Democratic front runner is an individual who has been revealed, you know, who has a uh, like a history of cozying up to segregationists. And recently in Iowa said something and I'm, I'm quoting here, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented um, as white kids. And of course, you know, trying to equate the poor kids with being black kids. And this is your I and mean, this is Joe Biden. And you're going to have a lot of folks who are going to, you know, pedal and push Joe Biden, you know, into the Democratic nomination because, oh, he's Obama's boy or he was uh, Obama's vice president. And I'm here to tell you right now, um, that's not going to work for me. I recently had a uh, had a heartfelt discussion with someone on this particular topic. And there's a, a terminology and there's a phrase that I'm really getting tired of people using. And this is this applies to the whole Jay-Z situation as well as folks talking about. We got to play the game. We got to play the game, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not checkers, but we got we got to play the game. And I'm here to tell you, man, like playing the game has gotten us played as black folks. And, you know, we're sitting up here and I, I've said on and I've said on this podcast and I've said it time and time again that the two party system has not worked for us and it hasn't worked for us because, you know, and, and now you want to talk about leverage. But the leverage that we have as African-Americans, as black people is our vote. And so if people aren't going to come to us, but every like once every four years and feeling entitled to our vote and, and understand like. Just look at your just look at the Democrat, just look at the Demo, uh, Democratic side right now. Look at some of the your premier or your, or your prime or your, your leading candidates. And so you're looking at Biden, 
you're looking at Kamala Harris, who, you know, uh, her history as an attorney general, and there are some serious concerns there. Uh, you got Cory Booker, and I've talked to people, uh, I've talked to folks about Cory Booker, uh, just about, you know, uh, his record in Newark and how, you know, tr- basically tried to privatize water. Bernie Sanders, a candidate who really should have started his own political party back in 2016, who is as, cl- as close as we've gotten to actual political revolution. But then Bernie Sanders says he doesn't agree with reparations for black people, which I don't understand how or why a Jewish man wouldn't or can't appreciate reparations for a wronged people, particularly um, in this country. And then you have Elizabeth Warren, you know, and the similarities there to, to Bernie Sanders. But that's the I mean, that's the strength of your party. And with each of those candidates, there's either a red flag or there's, you know, some feeling that they can't beat Trump. And so here's what happens with black folks. And here's what's happening to black folks is that we're being sucked into this vortex where it's anybody but Trump, anybody is anybody but Trump, anybody but Trump. We got to vote somebody in there. And so it's deja vu. It's a repeat of history. And what's what's happening is, is that black concerns, black issues, uh, black politics are being pushed by the wayside again for the Democratic agenda. And I'm not here for it. So basically what you have is a, a politics of fear instead of a politics of love. And I've like, <laughs> I, I really do feel like I'm repeating myself at this point. And so you get messages. And like I said, this is, you know, people who I, I, I that check in the show, uh, check into the show, people whom I think a lot of people who have a lot, have a lot of respect for. I can tell that people are already starting to get burned out with the political process and they're starting to get burned out with, you know, just uh, some of the commentaries that they're seeing. You get things like, you know, I used to love politics, but in my current state, I don't really care too much. I just worry about what I can control. And so what that looks like is, is that, hey, I'm just going to um, pick the candidate that makes me feel the best and I'm going to go from there. And so you don't get any political infrastructure with that. Um, you don't really get any political insight with that. And so I'm going to just say once again, and I'm going to encourage people and I'm going to ask that you just really take this advice to heart because I really do think that this will help you. Um, not only with your local politics, but your state and your national politics. And I'm going to say, start locally, start going to your city council meetings, start, um, finding out the thing, you know, there are people who will weigh in on Trump, who will weigh in on, you know, if it's uh, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, whomever, but have no idea who their local representatives are. And to that, I say, you're doing it wrong. Build that base. Your your politi- your politicians, your elected officials should know you, should know who you are. Because the fact is, is that even that relationship in and of itself is going to give you a leg hold on some, give you a foothold on so many people because they don't know who their politicians are. But out of that, and you, and it's just maybe yourself and maybe you meet with 10 friends and you turn that 10 friends and y'all meet with just, you know, some other people from your church, community centers, wherever. You'd be amazed when, when it comes to small town politics, how much a group of 20 to 30 people can accomplish. I see it all the time here in North Augusta. Small town politics, 20 to 30 people, 20, 30 people is nothing. But once you start doing that and you start to build on that knowledge with what's going on in your state and what's going on nationally, what you'll start to see is you'll start to see the same thing that I'm seeing. And it's that for one, all politics are local. But what will happen is, is that you'll look at issues on a national agenda and you'll start to see just locally how those things are applicable or maybe they aren't applicable. I've been looking at the issue of poverty and of wealth in the black community for years. And so for me, 
like it's it's going to be very hard for a candidate or candidates to have a conversation with me sans reparations. It it is what it is. The numbers are there. And see, I know that the Democrats have the capacity to be able to have these conversations because here's what the here's what Democrats have done and are continuing to do is that every underrepresented group except blacks are continuing to get a leg up. LBGTQ, um, you know, Hispanics, their issues and their concerns are being heard, which is fine. But to say, hey, we're hearing we're hearing what's going on with these groups over here and we're passing legislation for these groups over here, but we're disregarding the black vote and the when and not so much well not so much the black vote but black concerns is un, I, I, no i'm not playing that game anymore and if it takes me staying away from the polls if it takes me not voting on the president then that's what it's going to have to be and people say well you know not voting is a vote for trump no that's not how it that's not how democracy works and and you know people make comments out of that because they're so afraid of trump but you have to understand trump Let's talk about Trump for a second. Trump did not win the popular vote. Trump won Electoral College. And really, we should have been spending the last three to four years doing away with Electoral College. I saw some commentary where somebody was saying, you know, well, nobody cared about the Electoral College when Barack Obama won. Well, duh, because Barack won Electoral College and the popular vote. (laughs) There's no discussion there. The discussion is, is that to me, if you're going to say, hey, um, you know, one man, one vote, every vote counts. But then the popular vote does not yield a president. That is a failure of government. But even now, statistically, like Trump is not this popular candidate. What you have is is that you have an affluent minority. That's to say you have a minority with money that's pushing the agenda. But here's what happened is that you go back to 2014. And I keep trying to tell people, Okay, so President Obama was elected the first time in 2008. 2012, he was elected again. And so everybody thought, oh, that's the end of the Tea Party. But it wasn't. 2014, you had the midterms where Democrats just got creamed. And from there, like you really just like had this this uprising. Um, and so what that what happened with that is, is that, you know, uh, Congress, um, not only just, you know, Congress and not only your national politics, but local politics. You start saying this wave of I don't call them Republicans. I call them T-Publicans. You can tell not only by their policies, but by their commentary. And so you got Trump in office in 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 2016, 16. And so here we are, 2018, 2019, in 10 years, less than 10 years, the Tea Party took its agenda, got into the White House by understanding the correlation between local, state, and national politics and working all angles. I'm honestly not counting on the Democrats to do that because the more I look at the two party system and I'm looking at just, you know, the actions of Nancy Pelosi and, you know, just of the, you know, uh, you know, black caucus and congressional black caucus and just some of the uh, establishment um, in government. What's going to have to happen is it's like a grassroots movement. And if you're going to do stuff grassroots, you got to start locally. And that's that's the challenge that I accept with making a difference. And that's why I'm not, you know, so susceptible, so susceptible to, you know, just, uh you know, hanging on the coattails of a candidate whom, and like I said, I just, I just have a different perspective on this thing because, you know, I've been in media so long. I've, I've been in the rooms. I've seen people, um, you know, sell their soul to these candidates for nothing. And I'm just, as a black man, um, as a black journalist, you know, as a black father, as all of these things that, that I'm saying, you know, in black, I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask for a return on investment. I'm just not.
And I don't think you should be either, because what it comes down to is this, is that you're a taxpayer. And as a taxpayer, the bulk of your the bulk of your um, resources, I just I'm so sorry, man. I just I'm repeating myself. Ah, I can't help it. Um, the bulk of this, the bulk of your, um, you know, taxpayer, um, what, you know, what, what's taken out of your taxes, it goes to education and law enforcement. And are you satisfied with that right now? Are you satisfied with law enforcement? Are you satisfied with the culture of police brutality in this country? Are you satisfied uh, with, um, you know, the degradation degradation of public education? Are you happy with these things? If you're not, and I know you're not, then stand up and protest these things. You protest these things locally and you take your protests from your backyard to wherever it needs to go, whether that's the state or whether it's nationally. But you build that base and you take the time to build that base. And people told me, Hey, vote for Hillary in 2016. And you know what? I understand. And we're, and we're going to build that base. Seems like we're going to build that base. We ha- haven't done a darn thing. But speaking of education, I want to close out this podcast by talking about what happened at Glen Hills High School. Um, that thing upset my father, man. And uh, I, I got to say something about it. And I got to speak my piece on it. But we'll do that after this break. You're listening to Making a Difference. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Just want to talk about uh, what happened over here at, uh, at Glen Hills Middle School. Man, I thought this happened at the high school. Um, but long story short, and, you know, I know locally, um, and I'll just explain just for just for everybody. Basically, there is this violent video um, of this um, this boy beating this girl. I mean, just just really just beat her just i mean it's untold just uh, i mean it's it's disgusting honestly is i mean the only thing i can really say about it but i'm just looking at all parties involved and i really had a great conversation with my dad about this and um and it it really is one of those things that's that is happening and that happens just um just out of this culture that we've created as parents administrators um, teachers, just everybody involved. And I, I do want to start by by saying this, because this was a point I orig- had meant to share with, with the original podcast or on the original podcast. And you all know how I shared the whole cycle of the thoughts and prayers. And, um, you know, when you have a mass shooting, you get the thoughts and prayers and you get the Facebook debates and stuff like that. Well, there's something that we do in the black community, too. When there's youth violence or there's youth shootings. And so what we do is, is that. Um, so here's our cycle. Our cycle is kids get out of school for the summer. We don't have anything for them to do. And so about six weeks after school gets out, they start shooting each other and attacking each other, and hurting each other and killing each other. And so what we do is, is that we do our thoughts and prayers and then we do stop the violence rallies. And so we think the stop the violence rally is going to stop the violence. And we and we really think we're doing something. We never, you know, have anything for the kids to do, uh, have anything for the kids to do, a place to go for them to, you know, nothing for them to maybe get something to eat or things like that. So, you know, school gets back, uh, school, you know, is back in session and it's just like all this stuff just magically stops. And we never make the correlation that 
kids just need stuff to do and kids need a place to go to eat, to catch their breath, to have peace of mind. And so when I, I heard about this video, because I'm at the point now, I just I refuse to um, watch this stuff and share this stuff. And I know for some people, you know, it's it's sad to say, but it's a form of entertainment. As for me and my house, I just I really don't need that type of brutality in my life. But as I think about that scene and, you know, apparently there were people around and I just think of that as just a total failure of that system. It's a failure of the government in terms of the school, because, you know, there should, should have been someone there to break that up. But even just in terms of just peer mediation, it was a failure. And, you know, I wondered and I looked at like just all the different things that are going on in that particular school system right now. And I certainly don't want to imply causality but i just you know to me it's a it's a bad omen it's a bad start to the school year when your school superintendent a week in to the school year says i'm going to take a job somewhere else to me it just it just sets a bad it puts a bad taste in your mouth it just it really just sets things off um off on the wrong foot because to me, as a, you know, if I'm a student, if I'm a teacher, if I'm anyone who's involved with that school system, I'm like, man, the superintendent just bailed out on us, like just gave up on us. And again, I'm not saying that directly correlates to what has happened over here at Glen Hills Middle. But I will say that overall, we need to uh, have a serious discussion about what's going on in public education and in local education and not just, you know, when there's a viral video or there's a, a tragic event. Uh, that happens at the school at, that happens at a school or is happening in our school. I have two main uh, concerns with education. Again, this is a show about black issues for black people. Um, the first the first and most profound issue that I have is, is that I understand that black kids are going to school or coming to school and they're coming to school and they're hungry. And, you know, they're, they're coming to school, you know, in, in certain conditions that just are not conducive to learning. And so there are situations, there are dynamics that need to be addressed in terms of free lunch. And, you know, I know that at some of the Richmond County schools, they've cut back on the free lunch. And that is something that is, I mean, a red flag, something that's alarming. That's something that should be immediately addressed. And that's that's something that should be a priority. If we're going to say that grades and testing and things like that are a priority, then we have to make sure that our kids are prepared on a on a socioeconomic level to to be successful. And my other major concern is, is that, you know, along with that socioeconomic piece, there's a self-esteem piece. And to me, that self-esteem piece comes in with what we're teaching our kids or what we're not teaching our kids. Because to me, it's like, you know, and I'm sitting up here and I'm really just trying to bring this entire episode together. And I know some of you guys are listening in. This is the first that you're hearing about Kurt Flood. This is the first that you're hearing about Fred Hampton. And you know about Martin Luther King and you know about Malcolm X, but you only know what public education has taught you which is not much and which is very limited and which is you know hey we learned about this in february and no other time and i'm understanding and i've, I've actually had this conversation had the good fortune of having this conversation um at augusta university which is there needs to be a shift a cultural shift that happens where we are teaching our kids about our history not i mean the good bad and ugly they need to know and they need to know as a means of them saying, hey, this is where we were. This is where we are. This is what's going on. And this is how you can be a part of this. And this is how you can be successful in spite of everything that's happened. 
And yes, we do need student accountability because I hear a lot of parents talking about, well, you know, like this kid right here who beat this girl, I mean, half to death. I mean, that kid initially only got two days out of school. There needs to be um, student accountability, but there also needs to be parental accountability. And that parental accountability needs to be mandated and it needs to happen from the first day of school. And I'm not just talking about when your kids do something bad. I'm talking about being proactive. I'm talking about making sure um, that you're coming up to the school, making sure that there's a there's a, there's a student parent teacher relationship. There's, that should be a triangle. I mean, that that's that that needs to that absolutely needs to happen because this I mean, this reactive culture of, you know, and the, the worst thing I see is, is when people talk about, well, I saw that little boy beat that girl up. If that was my little girl, I'd be in jail right now. And to me, for one, you're a bully. And for another thing, it just shows just how selfish we are, because my thing is, is that it doesn't matter if that's my kid or not. That's somebody's child. That's a child who is a part of this community, is a part of the society that we're in. And that's and that's just common sense solidarity. That's caring about people outside of your household. But that is lost. That's so lost on us. And that's really just the disappointing thing about our society now is that, you know, and I don't know if, you know, this is what I've been told. This is what I've been taught was that you used to know everybody in your on your block. You used to know, you know, you used to know everybody in your neighborhood. X, Y, Z. I can tell you right now for me, I don't know anybody. I don't know. I know the guy across the street. That's the only person I know in my neighborhood. And so what ends up happening is, is that instead of having one neighborhood, every house on the block is a separate neighborhood. So you end up having two, like maybe 100, 200 neighborhoods inside of one neighborhood. And it's the same thing at school, you know, and you think, well, hey, we're on social media. But I mean, you look at social media, just look at some of the conversations that you get trapped in, <laughs> some of the debates that you get trapped in. And you realize, like, there's no solidarity here. There, I mean, there's a there's a diversity of thought, but even some of those thoughts should be kept to themselves. It's a trying time for sure. But my response to all of these different things when I see them is to speak on them boldly, to speak on them with courage and, and to fight for to fight to fight i mean if you see something that's going on in your school that's profoundly wrong you got to fight that if you see something that's going on uh, in our communities that's that's wrong you got to fight that stuff and that that's my passion um i think you guys can you know can hear i think well not think you guys know that i'm going to speak on these things and if it's something that that's profoundly wrong hey i'm gonna making a difference is going to say it and if there's something that maybe you think i should speak on by all means hit me up you know you can hit me up on facebook facebook.com backslash making a different show you can hit me up on soundcloud.com or SoundCloud um, at soundcloud.com backslash making difference. You can shoot me an email. Uh, you can shoot me an email at making, M A K I N, a different show at gmail.com. You can definitely support the show too, man. It's just, um, you know, whatever it takes, man. But I'm just, <laughs> so many different things, man, that, um, that, you know, that are just on my mind, man. And I'm always just, you know, just thinking about people. I'm thinking about this young lady at Glen Hills. Like her life has been changed forever. And we got to understand the, the complicity that, um, that each of us bears, man, in that. Um, because I mean that that shouldn't happen. That should that should never happen to any child. Wanna um fulfill a uh <laughs> a request, man, on the making a difference page. I was told that um I shared a a commentary. Well, not, not so much a commentary, there's a picture. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. There was a gun on some pasta. <laughs> and it was a challenge that said create a rap verse using this picture. So I did. And uh shout out TJ, man. Shout out Trev. Wanted me to uh, spit this. Pray for peace, and God gave me a look. Pray for peace, and God gave me a sword. You got to think out the box if you want to make it on this board. 
It's pretty plain we got guns on the brain. Don't ask what it costs to make the sauce. The answer might hit too close to home. Now we facing another loss. See a pattern the red and the white. Colonial thinking leads to limited sight. Keep the blacks out of sight and in silence, unless we're talking about their violence. But down the fork, we're about to go deep. The problem is not only the mystery of meat. The problem is what you accept as food. Put down the plate and get back to your roots. Let's go with it in the podcast, man. I'm Ken Macon. You've been listening to Making a Difference. I love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place, will not be televised.